0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Grab a seat. Good morning, New Life. Boy, I am so excited to share some time with each of you this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and it's my privilege to guide us for the next 35 minutes or so as we continue to engage with God on this journey. And if it's your first time here, I want to share something with you that you may or may not believe yet, but we believe this deeply as a church, and it forms everything that we do. We believe there is a God, and and God's not like some distant deity out there, but more like a personal, loving, perfect, powerful Heavenly Father who's here with us, who actually wants to speak to you and guide you and meet with you right here in this place. And so every week when we come, I just want to invite you. Make yourself at home. Whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, this is your home. We want you to go ahead, feel comfortable to kick your shoes off, grab a cup of coffee, get ready, because I believe God wants to meet you this morning. Uh, A few things that will help us on this journey are found inside our program. So when you walked in, you should have grabbed one of these. If you don't have one, there are extras in the back. Go ahead and grab this card that says start here. And if you would put your name on it, and if you're a guest with us, your email address on it, that would be a great gift to us. Here's what this is. It's simply a tool to help you stay connected to the things we're doing in the church, in the city, and around the world. It's a way for us to stay connected to you. Ultimately, our hope and our prayer is that the longer you engage with this community, you'll want to take some next steps in your spiritual journey towards God. And boy, when that time comes, we want to be the church that helps you take those next steps. And this card just helps us do that. So go ahead and get that ready. We'll be using it a little bit later this morning. The other thing you want to grab are our teaching notes. They've got the Bible story we're looking at, some fill in the blanks, some things to be thinking about and taking home this week, because my hope would be that this just launches us on a conversation that we would have with our spouse, with our housemates, with our friends this week about what it looks like to engage with the world on the topic that we're looking at today. So go ahead and get that ready. And while you're doing it, I'm just going to ask a question that I would love it if this pertains to you. If you would raise your hand And before your anxiety level goes up, I'm not going to call on anybody. I just want to know who I'm talking to. So uh, if you like cars, would you raise your hand? You don't have to be a mechanic, but you like cars. Fast cars, old cars. Uh, Good. Okay. Now I know who I'm talking to. Muscle cars, you know, cruisers. If you like cars, I, I really like cars. I am not at all mechanically inclined, but I love cars. Fast cars, old cars, cruising cars. I just really enjoy cars. So you can imagine my delight. Three years ago on Father's Day, New Life decided to host a car show and chili cook off for Father's Day. And it was very, very fun. And I had the privilege of calling people in our church community who had really nice cars and asking them if they would bring their car to the car show. And I called a good friend of mine who happens to be one of our spiritual stewards, which, for the sake of this conversation, means that he's one of a handful of people who has the power to fire me. And that'll come into play later. And he owns a really, really nice Porsche, like a really nice Porsche. And I said to him, would you be willing to bring your Porsche over for the car show? And he said to me, well, Kevin, I'm actually out of town that weekend, but why don't you just drive over to the house after work on Thursday? And why don't you take the Porsche for the weekend? And you can drive it, have a great time, and then you can have it in the car show. Now, I was faced with a question in this moment. How much do I trust the person who's offering this car? I mean, do I believe that if something happens to the car, it will wreck our friendship and for me in my career at this church, right? Because the extent to which I trusted this guy and his wife and their family and understood them and knew them, it flavored whether or not I could take their car. And, and I, I do trust them. And so I said, I would absolutely love to do that. So on Thursday afternoon, I drove, drove my uh, five-speed Chevy Aveo over to their house. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. Dropped it off, gave him the key, said, Hey, it's a straight trade. There you go. Picked up the Porsche, and I drove out. And as I was driving home, it was the first time in my life that I was driving a car where I got looks. You know what I'm talking about? Like sitting at the stop sign, looks, arm out the window. They're looking, not at me, looking at the car. It's like, Well, I don't like to brag, but I am driving it. And it was so fun. And my wife said to me, Well, Kevin, what do you want to do for Father's Day? Because you're working. At church on Father's Day, what do you want to do for the weekend? I said, What I really would like to do is when the kids go down for a nap on Saturday, I would like to have the the permission to leave the house for about an hour and just take the Porsche and drive. Like, drive out to the beach, take the windy turns. Of course, at the speed limit, because he might hear this story later, at the speed limit, take the turns and feel uh, the power of the Porsche, and I did, and it was so fun. I took it out towards Bodega, hopped on the freeway for one uh, on-ramp to off-ramp, and that's where I realized I'm not ready for a Porsche yet, because they are, they are rather quick. We had a great day, and then that night, uh, we, Maria and I, went on a date in the Porsche. We went downtown. Now, we only live about a mile from downtown, but we weren't walking that night. We were driving the Porsche, drove down, had dinner. After dinner, we saw Petaluma Batman. And if you don't know who Petaluma Batman is, you can Google him afterwards. We saw Petaluma Batman. And all I could think was, you might be Batman, but I'm driving a car like I got Bruce Wayne's money, if you know what I'm talking about. Like, I'm driving this Porsche. I cruised the Strip. It was so fun. And then Sunday morning, I got here bright and early, went into the parking lot at an angle to get up there, Back to the Porsche in, And after each service, I stood outside by the Porsche like... No big deal. No big deal. And, uh, and then we had the chili cook-off, which was so fun. Hundreds of us stuck around. We're eating chili out of those little paper plates. So there's just all sorts of chili, and uh, it was very, very fun. And then we had our evening service, and at the end of our evening service, almost everyone was gone. I was here. Our executive pastor, Angela, was here, and we're locking up the building, and I said, all right, I'm going to grab the keys and head out. And I reached to my pocket, and the Porsche keys were gone. So I thought, well, I must have put them in my leather man bag. And so I went to my man bag, (laughs) opened it up, click, and the the keys aren't there. So then my heart starts to race a little bit. And that's when I realized just how big this building is. Because I searched everywhere in this building, downstairs, upstairs, nooks and crannies, under the stairs, I mean, everywhere in this building. And we couldn't find the Porsche keys. And Angela said to me, well, there's one place that we haven't looked yet. It's out in the dumpsters that are filled with chili remnants from our chili cook-off. And so so Angela, being a great partner, uh, she and I spent Father's Day with me dumpster diving into the dumpsters, pulling out these trash bags, these huge bags of your chili leftovers, and with gloves on, going through and pulling out every single cup, every single plate to see if we could find the keys. And at the end, we had chili all the way up our arms. But you know what we didn't have? we didn't have the key to the Porsche. At this point, I had to make the call to my friend to say, "Uh, hey, your Porsche is great. (laughs) It's right where I left it. And it's going to stay there because I don't have the keys. I lost them. And true to my friend's character, they responded exactly like I thought they would. They were gracious and kind. Um, They even would probably let me borrow their Porsche again, and he's going to listen to this, so we should give him a round of applause for letting me borrow their Porsche again at some point. Yeah, because I'm sure they'll want to do that. It's only been three years. Uh, But here's what I realized. Boy, understanding the owner made all the difference in whether or not I borrowed that Porsche. And ultimately, when one of my worst fears happened, it made all the difference in how we interacted with each other. Now we are wrapping up a series we've been in for the past 6 weeks called Decoded. And it's a series all about the teachings of Jesus, where Jesus reserved some of his most profound, deepest, most insightful teachings for fictional stories that the Bible calls parables. They're these these fictional stories that have a, a main meaning or a main thrust. They're trying to teach us something about God, something about ourselves, or something about the way that we work in this world, in light of the fact that God is ultimately and actually in control of our lives And I started on week one by saying that the word that comes to our mind, or the thought that comes to our mind when we hear the word God, will shape every single part of our lives. Our understanding, if we think that God is is angry, judgmental, if we think God is some distant deity out there who doesn't want to do anything here, or that God doesn't have any power, whatever thought comes to our mind shapes our lives in very practical ways. And I kind of want to I want to end the series back where I started this series by saying this, that that how we understand God shapes absolutely everything. So in week one, we looked at a God who's not some distant, angry judge out there, but a God who's more like a father who's searching the horizon for a runaway child. And when God sees his child, he runs to his child. Doesn't condemn them, doesn't judge them, but he wraps his arms around his kids and he reinstates them to the family. That's the kind of God that we know and that we serve and that we love. And today I want to take us just one step closer in understanding a different part of who God is because whatever we think of when we hear the word God, it shapes everything. And the parable today, it takes place around four people a master and three of his servants. And here's a spoiler alert the master in the story represents God, and the three servants represent us at different points in our journey. And the story starts out like this. In Matthew chapter 25, you can grab it on your smartphone. You can see it on the screens or in your notes or in your Bible. It says this, Again, it will be like a man. This is, this is the kingdom of God, what it means to live in this world in light of the fact that God's in control. He says, again, it will be like a man who's going on a journey. He called his servants and he entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, he gave two bags of gold. And so one, he gave one bag of gold, each according to their own ability. And then he went on a journey. So here's what we know about these three men. These three men that are called the servants, they're literally, they they were called bond servants. And what a bond servant was in the time of Jesus, when he's telling the story, a bond servant was a free person— who chose to put their life under the authority of a master to become a slave or a bondservant because they believed that life under the authority of the master was better for them, would be to their benefit, more than trying to live life alone. So we have three guys who had lived lives alone for a while, who decided at one point it'd be better for us, for our families, for our legacy, to put ourselves under the authority of our master to become servants to this master. They were bondservants servants to him. That's what we know about these three guys. Here's what we know about the master from the text we just read. The master has enormous resources. He talks about eight bags of gold. Each bag of gold in the original language could be translated to a talent. And a talent was a measurement of money, which was roughly the amount of money that you would make in 10,000 days of working for one talent. He gives out eight talents— 80,000 days of wages. This guy has enormous resource, and we're told he still has plenty to take an extended trip. So he gives out all this money, and he can go for a long period of time. He's got extreme resources. The second thing we know about the master is the master knows each of his servants— We hear about three of the servants, but we can assume with this much money, the master probably had hundreds of servants, and yet they're not some amorphous blob of workforce that just goes out for the master. He seems to know each of his servants individually. He knows what their capacity is. He knows what they're capable of. And that's why he gives one servant five bags of gold, one servant two bags of gold, and one servant one bag of gold, because he knows each of them and what they can do. And then the master believes in the servants. He believes that they have something to offer. These are, these are servants. These are slaves. These are people that on their own had no influence, no resource, no ability. And when they came under the master's leadership, he said, I believe you have something worth investing in. In fact, I would say this. The master believes in his servants more than they believe in themselves. He believes in them enough that he entrusts incredible wealth to them. It's a huge responsibility. Even one talent, one talent, 10,000 days wages, was more than they could ever dream of. And he does it because he believes in them he looks at them and he sees something in them that they might not see in themselves. And then finally, the master expects his servants to manage the resources that he's entrusted to them. He believes, he trusts, he empowers, and he expects them to do something with the resource that he's given to them. Verse 16 says this, "'Then the man who received the five bags of gold went at once and he put his money to work and he gained five more bags of gold.'" In the same way, the one who had two bags of gold, he went out and he gained two more bags of gold. And then we get to the third man. But the man who received one bag of gold, he went out and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. He did something unthinkable. He took this big old bag of gold and when nobody was looking in the field, he went and he dug a big hole and he shoved the bag of gold in, the talon in, and he just, he buried it. And we're going to find out why in just a second. Verse 19 says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned. And as I was praying about this morning and thinking about this this message yesterday, something struck me. These servants had no idea when their master would come back. They knew he would come back someday to settle accounts, but they didn't know if it was going to be tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. They didn't know when they'd be standing face to face with the master. All they knew was that someday they'd be called to account. So verse 19 says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five bags. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. And look, I've gained five more for you. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with, and I want you to underline this next part, a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Now come share in your master's happiness. And then the one with two bags of gold also came. Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. Look, I've gained for you two more. And the master replies in much of the same way. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with, and underline that again, because there it is, a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and enter into your master's happiness. Here's what strikes me about that. Apparently, the amount of money that a person could make in 70,000 days of working is only a few things to the master. Did you catch that? I did some math. That means that if you worked seven days a week, it would take you 191.6 years to make that much money. I'm sorry, that is a lot of things. That's a lot of things. That's lifetimes of work. That's generations of work. But to the master— just a very few things. He says, you've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to give you many things. And I thought to myself, but they already have many things. But the master, with his great wealth, he says, no, no, that was just a little. Here's what I was realizing. The master not only has more resources than they could ever imagine, but the master is unbelievably generous to them. Remember, these parables, I keep saying it each week, they always have a twist. And here's the twist in the story right here. We've got this unbelievably generous master, and now we get to the man who had the one bag. Verse 24 says this, the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I, he's, listen, these guys don't understand, but I know the truth. I knew that you are a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown. Gathering where you have not scattered seed. He said, listen, master, you might have everybody else fooled. But I've been watching and I know you're unjust. You're unfair. You're hard. You're cruel. You're unethical. You're unkind. I know you. You scattered. You you, you harvest where you didn't scatter. And because I know the truth about you, you're unjust, unkind, unfair, unethical. I was afraid of you. So I went, here's what I did. When nobody was looking, I I dug a big hole. I took this big thing of money and I buried it in the ground and I covered it over. And then he pulls it out and it's all dirty and wet and dusty and worms crawling on it. And he dusts it off and he says, here, take what belongs to you. Here's the problem with the story. This servant doesn't know his master at all. What did we just learn about the master? The master is not a hard man. He's incredibly generous. He has given his servants the opportunity of a lifetime, something they didn't deserve, didn't expect, couldn't even imagine. He's not a hard man. He's a fair man. He's a kind man. And he believes in his servants. But the servant doesn't know his master. And because he doesn't know his master, he squanders the opportunity of a lifetime. He had the chance to drive a Porsche and instead he drove a Chevy Aveo. <laughs> because he didn't know the master. Remember, whatever we think of about God, when that word comes to our mind, whatever comes to our brain, shapes everything that we do. This man believed that that God, that his master, was cruel and harsh and unjust and unkind and arbitrary, and it shaped his life. Let's wrap up the story. Verse 26 says, "'The master replied, "'You wicked, lazy servant!' So you had it in your mind. You knew that I harvest where I did not sow, and I gathered where I had not scattered seed.' Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would receive it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags because whoever has been given, more will be given to him and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him because you squandered the chance. And then get him out of my sight throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And here's the crazy thing about the story. You and I probably assume that the master would be angry at his servant if he tried and failed. But everything we know about the master tells us that's not true. The master's not angry at the servant because he tried and failed. He's angry at the servant because he never tried at all. just buried it in the ground. He just buried it in the ground. And he squandered his one and only shot at doing something powerful with his life. So what's the secret that Jesus is trying to reveal to us? Remember, One of Jesus' best friends said that Jesus tells these parables to reveal to us, or to decode for us, secrets that have been long since forgotten. Things that we we did not understand have been hidden from the creation of the world. Jesus is telling us these parables so that we could know something new about God and about ourselves and about life to reveal secrets to us. What's the secret? Well, here's the first one, I think. It's that God knows you. Just like the master knows the servants, God knows you and loves you. And here's the kicker. God believes in you. Let that sink in for a second. Somebody needs to write that down. God believes in me. God believes in you probably more than you believe in you. See, you and I, we look at ourselves and we see all the things we can't do. We see all of our limitations. We see see our background as limiting. We see our current circumstances as limiting. We see ourselves as a limiting factor. We see all the things that we can't do. But God looks at us and he sees all the things that we can do. He looks at you and says, boy, I know you. I believe in you. And I believe you can do great things. And as I was studying this and getting ready, it was like a light bulb went on that I should have known years ago. God, God who made all this stuff, God, he believes in us. And so my job isn't to get us to do a bunch of stuff to get God to believe in us. My job is to sit back and say, hey, guess what, everybody? God already believes in us. God already sees great things in us. And God's ready to call those things out in us. Here's the crazy thing about God. God has chosen to invest specific gifts and talents in each of our lives. Because he knows us and loves us and believes something great about us. Before, before you were a glint in your mama's eye, before your mama met your daddy, God knew you. God saw you. God knew where we'd be born, when we'd be born, who we'd be born to. He knew the culture that we would live in. He knew the personality that we'd have. He knew the experiences that would shape us. He knew the community that we would choose to engage in. God knew that. And with all that in mind, God invested certain gifts and abilities and talents into every single one of us because God believes that we are worth investing in. There's a guy named Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament of the Bible. And I always tell people, if you're ever trying to quote the Bible, and you know it's in the New Testament somewhere, but you can't remember who, just say Paul said, because most likely you're right, right? If you're, if you're in the church, the two best answers are Jesus or Paul said it. You know, that's just going to help you go a long way. So this guy, Paul, who who started out hating Christians, hating the church, hating Jesus, all of a sudden, one day he had this encounter with Jesus, and it changed his life. And he went from hating Jesus and hating Christians to loving Jesus and loving Christians and planting churches or starting churches all around the ancient world. And here was his model. He'd go to a city, he'd plant a church, he'd invest in leaders, then he'd leave and go to the next city and plant a church and invest in leaders. And his his method was, his method was, when he left the city, he'd write to the city to check in on them. And so he writes to this group of people in a city called Ephesus in a letter called Ephesians. And they're new to the Jesus movement. They're they're new to following God. And he tries to explain the idea that God has implanted something great into each of them because God believes in them. And here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. He says, it's by God's grace that you and I have been saved through faith. And it's not something we can do for ourselves. It's It's a gift from God. Here's what he's saying. You and I have this this thing inside of us, this nature inside of us that is bent towards destructive patterns, towards thinking and saying and doing things that hurt us and hurt other people and that separate us from a perfect and holy and moral God. The Bible calls it sin. and says there's this sin nature inside of us, which is why we can't get to God on our own because sin causes us to do the very things we don't want to do. So Paul says we can't march our way to God based on the good things we do because we've got this sin thing that needs to be taken care of. But in God's amazing grace, Jesus left heaven and came to earth, God in the flesh. He lived a perfect life and then he gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And he died and he rose again. And when he rose again, he broke the power of sin and death and destruction and he replaced that sin thing inside of us with his Holy Spirit. So now we can live with him and for him. So what Paul's saying is it's by God's grace that we're even here today. It's because of God's great love for us that we're even here today. It's a gift from him, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then verse 10, he says, so this is what it looks like to partner with God on this journey. He says, for we are God's handiwork. We've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And that, that word handiwork, it's a Greek word called poema, poema, where we get the English word poem. Here's what he's saying. As we walk with God, as we get to know God, as we we understand the ways that God has invested into us, we begin to live in such a way that our lives become a poem. That the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given to us flow through us and our lives begin to line up like this beautiful poem that we're not writing, but God's writing. God is writing a poem in each of our lives. And we don't invest ourselves back into our community, back into our church, back into the world out of obligation to God. We do it because the more we understand the master, his incredible resource, his incredible love, and the fact that he's invested in each of us because of his exceeding generosity, the more we just love living this life with God. Figuring out our passions and gifts and abilities and talents and then just investing them back in. And the great promise of God is, as we do, more will be given to us in the journey. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I would love to, I'd love to invest myself more completely in our church, our community around the world, but I'm already at my margin. I have no time to help, Kevin. Please don't make me feel guilty about my time today. I'm not going to make you feel guilty. In fact, in fact, I have a secret that will help you guilt-free, guilt-free live with more margin you want to know what it is? Okay, I'll move on then. I said, do you want to know what it is? Okay. Uh, I'm actually going to preach on it next Sunday, so you got to come back. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's true. That's so good. You got to come back. But others of us are thinking, I have no—that was awesome—I have no idea— Some of us are thinking, I have no idea how God has gifted me. This whole idea of God investing in me is brand new. If that's you and you think, I don't know what God has gifted inside of me. I don't know what he's invested into me. The idea that God believes in me is brand new information. I want to give you three things that can help us take this journey of experiencing and exploring how God has gifted us. I called it Discovering My Poem. And there are three things, and this is why I want you to take notes and take it home this week and process this. Three things, three questions to ask that can help us. The first is this What do I enjoy doing? What do I enjoy doing? If time and money wasn't an issue, what would I spend my time doing? What do you love? That'll help you figure out the talents and gifts and passions God has invested into you. What do you love? Do you love woodworking? Do you love it if you could do that with your life? Do you love kids? Do you love meeting new people? Do you love travel? Are you an artistic person? What what do you love? What do you love? That will help shape who God made you to be because oftentimes the things we love most are simply God's whispers in our lives that these are the places he's invested in us uniquely. So what do you love? The second question is this, what makes my blood boil? What's the thing that you think this must not happen. This must not happen. Not this should not happen. I'm not asking what are the things that pull on your heartstrings when you hear that commercial with the kitties and the dogs and the arms of the angels. That pulls on all of our heartstrings. Okay. Far away from here. So It's like, oh, give me a Kleenex. I'm not saying that. Maybe that is for you, but I'm talking about overarching. Every time you read about this thing, hear about this thing, you think to yourself, this must not happen in my lifetime. The world should not be this way. If I have a podium, I'd be, I'd be smacking it down. It's that kind of thing. This must not happen. Maybe it's global issues like lack of clean drinking water. And you think with all the resource, with all the imagination, with all the intellect, this must not happen. Maybe it's sex trafficking. You think to yourself, this must not happen. And while I'm alive, this must change. Maybe it's education Maybe it's community. And you realize that as, as social media gets more and more prolific, we're actually becoming more and more islands and facades of our true self. And you think there's power in true community. This must not happen. We must not become so disconnected. We have no actual authentic relationship. Because if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Our friends matter. You think this must not happen. Maybe for you, it's marriages. You think I look at the stats and I think, boy, God has so much better for us than watching marriages crumble and having a 50-50 shot. You think this must not happen. Maybe it's families. And you see parents who abdicate leadership of their kids at age 10, 11, 12, and you think this must not happen. God has given parents to lead their children well. This must not happen. And while I'm alive, it will not happen. What makes your blood boil? because it could be that while God uses the things that you, that you love to give you whispers of his gifting in you, it could be that God wants to use the things that you hate to be whispers of the ways that God is inviting you to make a difference. And then the last question is this, what am I good at? Because it's great to love things— but if you love it and you stink at it, you're not going to be all that helpful for most. I know firsthand because when I was 17, boy, I, I fell in love with Jesus. He just awakened me. And then I went to Sonoma State for college and, and I started playing guitar because it combined my two passions, God and girls who like guys who play guitar. <laughs> yeah, you thought I was going to say music. No, no, no. And I had the opportunity of a lifetime my junior year. I was able to, I got invited to lead worship for the campus ministry. One problem, I was horrible at it. I mean, really bad. Can't sing, can't play. It was bad. It was bad. My voice would crack. It was just horrible, horrible. I was no good. I loved it. I loved picking songs, praying about it, practicing it, playing on my own with my shoes off, riding my skateboard. I loved it. I just sucked at it. But you know what I was okay at? Preaching. I found I was okay at preaching. I got invited to preach. And while I was raw, if you think I'm raw now, it's been like like 13 years. I was raw, but boy, people's lives began to change. What are you good at? What are the things that you do that when you do it, people seem to be responding? Because that could be that God is shaping you in some way to use it, to make an impact. The best thing I ever did for that ministry was to stop playing guitar, which I was no good at, and start preaching. And I want to say this, the church should be, and by God's grace will be, the safest place in the world to figure out what you're good at. This is why we invite you to try ministries. It's not simply for what God can do through you, but we want to create a safe place for you to try things and see if this is what I'm good at and have partnership and not be judged or condemned if you don't do it perfectly. Listen, there are tons of great places to invest our gifts in the church and outside of the church, but I want to say the church should be the safest place for us to try and see what we're good at because it's only in trying that we actually can figure out what it is that we're good at. Friends, we've got one shot at this life, one shot to make a difference, one shot to make an impact, one shot to invest ourselves, one. I heard a pastor at the Global Leadership Summit conference that about 170 of us went to this last two days. I heard a pastor who wrapped up the whole conference say it like this. He said, the church, and that is us, the church exists for the world. Let that sink in for a second because it sparked my imagination. And when we start figuring out these three things, what we're good at, what makes our blood boil, and what we love, boy, God can can use them to spark something great. Here's what God's doing in my life right now. One of the things that I love is churches. I love leading our church. I love partnering with churches. I love seeing God use churches to transform lives. And two years ago, a year and a half ago, when Pastor Ron and I made the transition and I became the lead pastor, one of the things that Ron and I both prayed and asked God was, God, would you use us to help other churches in these transitions? Because I see too many churches that crumble when their lead pastor leaves, and it breaks my heart. It should not happen. Because when a pastor leaves and a church crumbles, lives lives are, are torn apart. And here's the great thing: God's allowing us to do it. In fact, in about a month and a half, Pastor Ron and I got an invitation to fly to India. To India, not not Sonoma County, not even Indiana, India. Okay, this is way further than I imagined when I pray to fly to India to meet with our global partners in India, who have been doing ministry for over thirty years. They've got churches in three states. They've got an orphanage, a school, a Bible college, and their their leader who started the ministry. He's been doing it for over 30 years. He's 72. He said, I need to transition well so that the mission in these three states doesn't crumble. And he said, Ron and Kevin, you guys did it well. Would you fly over and would you partner with us? And by the way, because of your ongoing generosity, Ron and I and Gordon McGee, our global outreach director, can fly to India and partner with these churches so that they can transition well. So I want to say thank you. Thank you. So that they can transition well. And this is just God using me in the ways he's opened the door for me to change our community. And he can use each of us to do it right where we are. It is the most exciting life we could ever live. And God gave the church for the world. For the world. Imagine if the 600 of us or so who gather together weekly— if we say, I believe that God believes in me and entrusted me with things, and I'm going to walk with God, and I'm going to try some of this stuff out. Imagine what God could do. He'd change families. He'd change neighborhoods. He'd change the workplace. He'd change Sonoma County. He could change the world through us. What an incredible opportunity we have. It is the opportunity of a lifetime. And he's saying, trust me enough that you don't just bury it. Pull it out and use it and try And If you fail, we'll get back up together and we'll do it together. He's saying to us, church, don't look at the world and all the problems. Look at the world and be the solution. Be the solution. And it all starts by us knowing God better. My goal each week is that we would know God just a little better than we did the day before. And if you're here today, and this whole thing is brand new to you, this idea of a God who knows you and loves you and has implanted certain gifts and abilities in you because he believes in you, if this is all brand new to you, I want you to know, that this whole journey starts by entering into a relationship with God, by experiencing God's great forgiveness in your life. Because God bridged that gap that we couldn't when Jesus gave his life on the cross. He paid for our sin. He offers to us a new spirit powered by his spirit so that we can live the life we were created to live. And if you're here today and you've never entered into a personal relationship with God, I want to give you a chance to do that because that's the starting point for this great life. So in just a second, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you, if you're ready to make that decision, just to repeat a simple prayer after me. It's no magic spell. It's just a a prayer of commitment where you would say to God, God, I want to walk with you and experience your love and forgiveness in my life. And God hears that prayer and responds every time, every time. So would you close your eyes? Let's, Let's wrap our time up in prayer. And if you're ready to make that decision, you can just repeat these words after me. Either whisper them where you're sitting or just say them internally because God knows he hears, he will respond. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you have a great plan for my life. And I believe that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to have a relationship with you, God. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk in this life with you? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you made that decision today, I want you to know that's the best decision you could ever make because it shapes our life here and it shapes our eternity. And we want to partner with you and pray for you. So in these last five minutes, as we close our service up, I want to ask you to to draw your attention back to these Start Here cards. Go ahead and grab this card. On the back, we always give ways to apply the things we're learning because information, which is what comes in, plus application, which is what we do with it, leads to transformation. Transformation. And I don't want us to be a church that just knows more about God. I want us to be a community that's transformed by God. That's why I give us chances to put into practice the things we're learning. And the first is this. If you made that decision to commit your life to God today, please mark that where it says, apply today's teaching by. It says, I'm entering into a first-time relationship with God. Mark that so we can pray for you by name, so we can get some resources to you this week. The next one is this. It says, I'm going to test drive a ministry at the church to see if it's a good fit. That means you would just try it for one or two times to see if this is something that you love, that you're good at, that God wants to use. It might be a gifting in you. And up above are a ton of ministry opportunities that you could plug into if you wanted to. And I don't say that because, because I believe that ministry in the church is the only way to invest ourselves in a God-honoring way but I do believe it's one of the safest ways to take a next step and try. So if you want to do that, go ahead and mark that down, and our pastoral team will contact you this week. And the third one is this. It says, I'd like to take an assessment to see how God might be gifting me. There are a ton of gifting assessments out there. I'm going to try to find one or two that are, I think are particularly helpful for our community, and I'll email that out to you this week if you mark that on your card. So go ahead and, and uh, get that ready. In just a second, we're going to pass some baskets, and you can drop that card in. We're also going to receive the offering. Yeah, absolutely. So... If you came prepared to give, you can get your tithes and offerings ready. Put them in the envelope or you can text to give. The number's on the screen and you can go ahead and get that ready. It's just a way for us to give back a part of what God's given to us. If you're a guest with us today, please, please, please don't feel obligated to give We want this service to be a gift to you. And in fact, if you go to Guest Central after service, we have a gift bag for you. There's some great stuff inside here. The whole thing is yours. Just our way of saying thanks for joining us today. So go ahead and grab one of those on your way out and I'll be back there after service as soon as I can. I would love to talk to you. If you're new, I'd love to hear your story a little bit. So just look for me there. I'd love to say hello. Let's pray. Then we'll pass those baskets. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to to know you more. Thank you, God, that you believe in each of us so deeply that you've actually entrusted us with certain gifts, abilities, and talents out of your abundant generosity. Lord, thank you that you want to walk with us as we explore what it looks like to use those gifts and talents and abilities in our family, in our community, in our church, and in the world. We love you, God. Amen. Amen. Those baskets are being passed. You can drop in your Connect card, drop in your tithes and offerings. Hey, if you went to the Global Leadership Summit these past couple days last week that we hosted, wasn't it incredible? Wasn't it amazing? That was fantastic. We had just under 170 people uh, from New Life, from the city, business owners, companies came together. We had the chief of police here with some of his sergeants. We had a principal of a school. We, we had uh, some people from the district office. It was it was a powerful time to grow in our leadership. And we decided we're going to host again next year because we believe this is a great investment for our community. Not just for our church, but for our community as a whole. We want to be the kind of church that empowers and impacts our cities that we love so much. And here's what I want to do. Pastor Ron promised you uh, on Friday at the close of the summit that we would have a code for you. If you want to get the super early bird discount, we have a code for you. You go to our website, you click on the link, and then you would type in the code PREMIER16. PREMIER16, because we're a premier site. If you do that, I think in the next four days, you get like a super, super super early bird discount because it's a year away, but all the information's on there. And I'm telling you, if you went this year, you probably know you want to come back next year. I would encourage us, let's get on early and do that. I will be sticking that code on New Life's Facebook page after third service today. So you can also go and click on it there and see that. Uh, Hey, next week, as we're heading into the fall, school's starting up. Some of us are cheering, some of us are crying. Depends where you are in that dynamic. Next year, next week, I mean, God has given us a tool, a tool to transform our fall. And it's not what you think. You've got to come back next week. I can't wait to share it with you. God bless. Have a great Sunday. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.